Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome to News from the Torah. This is Leah Aharoni. Today is the 21st day of the Hebrew month of Tammuz, July 20th, and this week we're reading the Torah portion of Matot. Usually, the last two Torah portions in the book of Bamidbar, Numbers, are read together on the same Shabbat. It's called a double portion. But this year, because it's a leap year, the two portions are read on separate Shabbatot. So this week we're reading the Torah portion of Matot, and it has many interesting uh, nuances and stories. In this week's Torah portion, Moshe is told to fight the battle of Jewish people against Midian, and following the story of Bilam, who led the Jewish people astray by telling the Moabites to bring their women to lead the Jews astray after Bilam was not able to curse the Jews. So now God tells Moshe to get a thousand people out of every tribe to get together and fight the Midianites. And afterwards, Moshe will go up to the mountain and die. So this is basically Moshe's last job in the world, his last task. And we're going to talk this week about what does it mean that this is Moshe's last task. Why was Moshe supposed to preside over the war over Midian? If this is Moshe's last task, then supposedly this is the culmination of his life work. So we're going to try to understand what is it about this war against Midian that is the culmination of Moshe's life work. And in the spirit of the three weeks of the period when we mourn the destruction of the temple, when we don't listen to music, and many communities have a custom not to hold weddings and celebrations during this time, we're going to connect this idea of Moshe's last task in the war against Midian with the spirit of these days when we, as I said, mourn the temple. And when we work on interpersonal relationships, because the breakdown of interpersonal relationships was the reason that the temple was destroyed. So the fifth Lubavitcher Rebbe, the Rabbi Rashab, has a very long speech called Hichelzu. And in it, he talks about the war against Midian to understand why this was the culmination of Moshe Rabbeinu's life mission. And he explains linguistically that the word Midian, the name of a people, Midian, is very close to the Hebrew word of Madon. Madon means strife. And he explains that Fighting against the strife in the Jewish people, uprooting strife, uprooting hate, where one Jew hates another Jew, is the culmination of Moshe Rabbeinu's work. Because without it, we cannot go into the land of Israel and we cannot be one nation. 
before the Jewish people stood at Mount Sinai and before Moshe Rabbeinu could go up and do his job of giving us the Torah, because this is really the main part of Moshe's work in the world. Moshe is the one who gave us the Torah. So before Moshe went up to Mount Sinai to bring down the Torah, the Torah tells us that the Jewish people stood by the Mount Sinai as one. The Jewish people camped against the law opposite the mountain of Sinai. And the Torah uses singular, the Jewish people, the entire nation, were completely united and of one mind on the same page about getting the Torah. And this unity was a prerequisite for getting the Torah and for Moshe going up and then teaching the Jewish people the Torah. And if we understand that this was a prerequisite, then we also understand that uprooting any kind of strife and fighting against this Midian or Madon, fighting against all the reasons that bring Jewish people to fight each other, to hate on each other, would also be the culmination of Moshe Rabbeinu's life work. So how do we ensure that there is no strife in our personal relationships? How do we improve our interpersonal relationships? And to understand it, I would like to share a story that was told by Rabbi Israel Salanter, the founder of the Musar movement. The Musar movement was founded about 150 years ago in Lithuania by Rabbi Israel Salanter, and it entails ways for people to become better. What is the personal work that people need to do to improve their character? So when asked why he started the Musar movement, Rabbi Israel Salanter shared the following story. In his town, there were two shoemakers who were very poor, but they were very good friends, and they would always help each other and work together. And one day, one of them made a small deal and made some profit, and from that profit did another deal. And slowly but surely, the, one of the shoemakers became very rich. Many years passed, and this rich former shoemaker was offered to marry his son with the daughter of the rabbi of the city, which is a huge, huge honor. And honestly, it's a place that he could never have even dreamed of when he was a shoemaker. He reached new heights, and of course, he was very happy about the offer, and a grand wedding was planned, and people came from far and wide, all the um, honorable people, the rich people, all the upstanding citizens of the town were invited to this wedding, and then all the townsfolk also came, because this is how things were done back in Europe. So he's walking his son to the chuppah, to the wedding canopy, and the wedding is about to begin. And his former friend, the poor shoemaker, walks up to the front of the hall to the wedding canopy, stands opposite his former friend, who is now rich, takes off his shoe, waves it in his face, and says, Hey, how much does it cost to fix this shoe? which was his way of embarrassing his former friend. The rich man was so embarrassed and so taken aback that he 
fainted on the spot and died from this embarrassment. So can you imagine somebody dying just from embarrassment? But this is exactly what happened. Rabbi Israel Salanter said that it is very unusual for somebody to be so cruel and so uncouth as to cause such a level of embarrassment. So this is not what normal people do. This is not how people usually behave. But, he said, the fact that somebody died of embarrassment, the fact that all of us carry these wounds of embarrassment, of being um, touched and scarred by the people around us, that requires work. Because, just think about it, once again, this um, former shoemaker, he should have been happy if somebody reminded him that once he used to be a shoemaker, and he thinks about it, wow, 10 years ago, I was a shoemaker, and today, I'm a rich man marrying my son off to the daughter, with the daughter of the rabbi of the city. He should have been embarrassed, he should have been happy and grateful for how far he has come in life. But most people are not grateful. Most people take what they have for granted, and now they want more. And actually, just yesterday, I heard a very interesting line from a very uh, rich man. And he said that what was yesterday's profit is today's capital. The things which you were grateful for yesterday, the things that yesterday looked like a profit. Wow, this is new. This is exciting. I'm making more money. This is amazing. Today... It's your capital. You take it for granted. Oh, this is part of the deal now. We need to make new profits. So the same thing was true about the shoemaker. Instead of being happy at all this amazing progress he had made, and instead of taking his friend and kissing that shoe and saying, wow, you know, you just think about it. We were there together, and now look where I am. He took it as a personal affront and he was so embarrassed by his past that he died. And another thought that came to me as I was thinking about the story, wasn't this rich shoemaker in any way responsible for helping his friend, the poor shoemaker? No, his luck turned, he became rich, things looked up for him. Where was he for his friend? Where was he to help his partner with whom they, they had such a long relationship. And maybe it is this bitterness of the poor shoemaker. Hey, we were friends. We would sit on the same bench and have the same hammer and nails and make the same shoes. And now you became rich and that's it. You forget about me. You dispose of me. You don't care about me anymore. I think there was this bitterness in this second shoemaker that made him go up and spoil his friend's big day. So really, that bitterness, though, is an outcome of two people. Two people, each of them hurting on the inside and sharing a relationship of hurt. The poor shoemaker feeling discarded and not taken care of and forgotten and unseen. And all that bitterness came out in this act of wanting to share the hurt, share the pain, and spoil the other man's day. And the other man... Once again, instead of taking you know, that shame, taking that embarrassment and turning into his mind you know, something good by becoming grateful, ironically, there must have been something on the inside that 
made him feel unworthy because if the now rich shoemaker would have felt worthy, he would have been touched by this embarrassment. It's only because on the inside he felt unworthy that this insult resonated. And apparently these feelings of unworth were so deep and so prevalent that when the embarrassing situation happened, his ego couldn't stand it and he passed away. So there was hurt on both sides. There was pain on both sides. And this relationship that could have been a beautiful relationship of support and assistance and gratitude and celebration turned into a meeting of two hurt individuals that ended in a tragedy. And now, when we think about it, let's take this back to our own life. Every time we have a bad relationship with somebody, it's because we're sharing a relationship of hurt. They're hurting and they're pouring things out at you because somewhere inside of them, they're hurt. And if you get embarrassed, if you get angry, if you get upset at their behavior, then on the other hand, that means that whatever it is that they're pouring out at you resonates with what's inside. I heard a beautiful line from a woman called Rachel Bolton, and she says, nobody is against you, everybody is for themselves. Nobody gets up in the morning with an idea that today I'm going to go out and get you. Um, Nobody prepares to be there to be hurtful. People try to act good. People try to do good things. Nobody thinks of himself as a bad guy, but people feel justified in what they're doing, and sometimes people do horrible things while they think they're right. Each person acts at the absolute top level of performance that he's capable at that moment. Once again, Every single person acts at the top level of performance that they're capable of at that moment. So, for example, when somebody wants something from you and you're not giving it to them and they get worked up and start screaming, just think of yourself. Are there those moments when you are so upset that you scream at somebody? How does it feel? You know how it feels. It just pours out of you. You feel it on the inside. You feel it physically. When you get angry, you feel the anger well up inside of you, and sometimes you can't help it. It just pours out on somebody else. It's not a choice. And very often afterwards, you think about it, and you say, how did that happen? How did I get there? That's not something I planned, but that's the best you could do at the time because you couldn't hold it back. So now this other person who's screaming, who is upset, who is angry, They literally feel it welling up inside of themselves and they're pouring it out on you and they can't help themselves right now. Now, I'm not saying this as an excuse to um, excuse bad behavior. This is certainly not justification and people need to invest time into improving their character, into anger management. People need to be in control of themselves and Judaism says that every single person has the ability to be in control of his or her behavior at every single moment. But not all people know how to exercise that control. 
not all the people know how to rule over their emotions and their behavior and their speech. And that's actually a very big part of Judaism, learning how to rein in all these animal instincts and how to make sure that you behave at the best level that you can. And that best level is truly a good level. So this is a long story, but basically what I'm trying to say is that when we have a bad relationship with somebody, it's because it's a meaning of two hurts. There's the hurt on the inside of you that you're pouring out through anger or contempt or any other kind of negative emotion. And if the other person wasn't hurt, if there was no scratch and dent in their soul, if they would have been completely smooth and okay, then whatever it is that you're pouring out will have just bumped off, bounced off like a ball, leaving no imprint. But when the other person is also hurting, when the other person is also self-conscious, when the other person has low self-esteem, then these words of hurt will stick to their personal internal hurt and there will be this dynamic of hate, mistrust, and strife. So how do we ensure that it doesn't happen? And here the Torah gives us some beautiful advice. First of all, the Torah portion starts off by saying that Moshe Rabbeinu went out and put brought together all the heads of the tribes. And when he brought together all the heads of the tribes, the Noam Elimelech, a commentator on the Torah, a Hasidic commentator says, what this means is that all the tzaddikim, all the righteous people who want to do something, have to get together to do things together. But when a person goes out to do things on his or her own, then they're up against huge resistance. And when he's talking about Siddiquim, he's really talking about all of us. When we want to get something good done, when we want to create a better world, when we want to create impact, even if we just want to have a family event, or anything we want for our life, we have to connect with good people. We have to build our community. And in that community, interact with others from a place of giving, from a place of connection, from a place of self-support and mutual support. Because when people come together, they have the ability to do much more than all the individuals. The whole is much greater than the sum of the parts. So when people come together without agendas, but with a shared concern and a shared wish to support each other, amazing things happen. Another tip that we get from this Torah portion is that to fight the Midian, to fight this Madon, to fight this hate, we have to bring people from all the tribes. Each one of the tribes gave a thousand soldiers to the common effort. Now, each one of the tribes had something very specific and individual that set it aside and differentiated it from other tribes. Each tribe was different, but each tribe gave the same amount of soldiers, 1,000, which signifies that we need to give equal importance to the different capabilities, the different abilities, the different talents, 
Each person has something special about them, just like each tribe has. Each tribe has a mission of its own. Each tribe has a job of its own. And we need to give that equal treatment. We need to be able to appreciate intellectual gifts just as much as we appreciate emotional gifts, just as much as we appreciate artistic talent. No tribe was better. All tribes, while they were different, were equal and brought the same number of soldiers. And together, they could fight this war on Midian, on Madon, on hate. Still, it is extremely important that nobody gets lost in this community. And it's really, really beautiful that the Degel Machane Ephraim, the grandson of the Baal Shem Tov, shares something that he'd heard from his um, relative, Rabbi Nachman of Haridik. And he says, on the same passage, that each tribe should give a thousand people, he says that it's important for each person to also be an individual. If each person acts as if there are no other people in the world, not in the sense of not caring about others, but in the sense of responsibility, then people can get things done. Every person should understand that they carry responsibility. I will say just say, in a place where there are no men, you be that person. Each one of us has to feel like we're in a world where there is other no men. There are other no individuals who will take responsibility. And we cannot shirk responsibility or pass it around. But each person needs to stand up and take responsibility for what they can and not be influenced by others. It's very easy to be influenced and say, oh, that person said that and that person said that. Obviously, we need to take advice. We need to hear and see other people. But hearing, seeing other people, getting advice does not come instead of having our own opinion and then also taking that responsibility. And this week, I actually heard a beautiful story about taking responsibility. There was a man in Jerusalem by the name of Rabbi Brim. And in Rabbi Brim's neighborhood, another gentleman passed away, leaving a widow and several orphans. And Rabbi Brim decided to take full responsibility for this family financially and educationally. He made sure to give the widow a sum of money every month so she had what to feed her children and how to pay rent. And he would go around raising money for this family. And also the children, they needed a father who would learn with them and help them out in school. So he took tutors for the children to be tutored and to be okay in school so they wouldn't uh, slide back. And when Passover came around, this family needed somebody to be there with them to conduct the Seder, the Passover Seder. So Rabbi Brun went out and found somebody who would come to the family and have the Seder with them. And Rabbi Brun actually paid that person. So on the night of the Seder, on um, the night of Passover, Rabbi Brun was walking from his synagogue to his home and he's passing by this widow's house. And he thought he would just walk in to see that everything's okay and that they're taken care of. And sure enough, he shows up and the person he paid to come and do the Seder did not show up. So they waited and waited and waited. 
and um, he found a messenger and sent a message to his wife that he is staying there to conduct the Seder and he would come then home and have a Seder later on at home. But instead of having a quick Seder, right, if you were there to do a Seder for another family and you still had to do a Seder for your own, what would you do? You would go through it quickly and be done with it. But that's not what Rabbi Brim did. Rabbi Brim sat there and talked to each child and gave each child an opportunity to express themselves and told stories and made sure this family had a really, really great experience. So by the time they came ho- he came home, it was very, very late. It was like 11 o'clock. And his wife didn't say anything that right there. But then after they had their Seder, she said, Look, I understand you want to help people. I understand that you're out there helping a widow and orphans. I get it. I appreciate it. It's an amazing thing that you're doing. But I have one question. What about me? Why do I have to wait till you come back at 11 p.m.? I'm also a person you need to create more balance. And Rabbi Brim answered with something that he heard from the Chazon Ish. Chazon Ish was a very, very respected rabbi in Israel who lived about 80 years ago. So Rabbi Brim shared that once he went to the Chazon Ish and the Chazon Ish asked him to help find Um, a bride for a certain young man who wasn't married. And he said that if you find a bride for this young man and if they'll get married, I'll come to the wedding, which was really an unheard of thing because Chazanish did not go to weddings. So sure enough, uh, Rabbi Brim acted as a matchmaker. He found the right girl for this young gentleman and they got engaged and he came to pick up the Chazanish and to take him to the wedding. And the Hazanish was very, very careful about his times. So they made up that Rabbi Brim would come, let's say, at 7 p.m. And Rabbi Brim shows up at 7 p.m. And he sees that the Hazanish is talking to this couple. So the Hazanish asked him to wait. So he said, okay, I'll wait. And he's sitting there waiting five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, hour, two hours. After two hours, the couple got up and walked out and left. And the husband came out and said, thank you so much for waiting for me and thank you so much for taking me. And I'm sorry you had to wait, but you need to understand that this couple came from Europe. They have some issues, need a lot of help, and I needed to be with them for these two hours. And says the husband, I know what you're thinking. I know you're thinking, why do I have to wait? It's very nice that you, Chazanish, is taking care of this couple. That's what the Chazanish says. But what about me? Why do I have to wait? And the Chazanish says, because if there's a couple from Europe that needs help, it's not just the Chazanish's problem. It's not just the Chazanish's responsibility. It's everybody's responsibility. If one person has a problem, it's everybody's responsibility to help. And it's your responsibility to help too. And how do you help? You help by waiting. So this is what the Chazan Ish told Rabbi Brim. And this is, a, this is what Rabbi Brim told his wife. If there's a widow and orphans somewhere out there, everybody has to take responsibility for that. And one person will take responsibility by raising money. And another person will take responsibility by showing up and being with them for the Seder. 
And a third person, for example, the wife, will take responsibility by waiting, waiting to have a say a little bit later. This is her input into helping this family. So ironically here, the two ideas that seem opposite come together. On the one hand, when there's a problem, when there's an issue, when something needs to get done, Everybody has to take responsibility. It's a joint responsibility and everybody has to join together just like what um, the Noam Elamelech said that to get good things done, all the righteous people have to join together. But on the other hand, in that joining together, we have to also uphold what the Degel Mechane Ephraim says, that every person has to see themselves as an individual who is the only one there to do their job. We cannot shirk responsibility and pass it on to other people. And in this stance, there's so much self-confidence. There's so much understanding that I'm here to do a job. There's so much awareness of your mission then when you are in that place of understanding I'm here to do a job for God, then all the little embarrassments and hurts and slights and disagreements don't really touch you so deeply. They don't create this bad vibe. Because if other people are being rude or hurting or angry, when they pour it out at you, you say, "Uh look, You know, this is not the way to react. This is not the way to act. Obviously, you don't have to take it lying down. But on the other hand, inside of you, you don't have to get emotional. Because if you are always constantly focusing on your mission of what God wants from you, and if you're confident in who you are and in your abilities and in your gifts, then the fact that other people are angry doesn't really impact you. You can sort of have this Teflon covering that makes all those hurts bounce off. So, ironically, these two things come together beautifully. And just to finish off, I would like to ask you where these two ideas meet you in your life. Where are there places for you to take responsibility? What tasks are sitting there waiting for your input? What have you noticed that needs to be fixed and nobody else is doing it? If you're seeing it out there in the world, that means it's your job. Go and pick it up. Pick up the glove. Get the thing done. There's nobody else in the world who can do it. Just like the sages say, in a place where there are no people, you be that person. Well, there are no people because clearly nobody else is seeing that thing or taking responsibility, so you have to go out and do it. But on the other hand, don't do it alone. Get your community, get your village, reach out to your friends. Think of how you can bring more people on board and do it together. And then there's much less resistance, because when we work together, we all bring our energies, and it's a community effort, and very often a challenge is actually an amazing, amazing way to bring a community together. So who is your community? Who are the people that you can work with to make things amazing for you and for them and for your town, for your family, for your community, for your country? So this was Parshat Matot, 
and we discussed how to overcome strife and hate and replace them with community work, with teamwork, with cooperation, with taking responsibility. I hope this was enlightening for you. It was a pleasure joining with you for this week's show and learning some Torah together. I hope that you enjoyed news from the Torah, and I hope you will join me again next week, right here, right now. This was Leah Roney, signing off. Have an amazing Shabbat and a great week. Bye-bye. If you love Israel News Talk Radio, then you'll love our Facebook page. We keep you up to date on what's happening in Israel, plus little surprise treasures that we don't share on the radio. Go now to follow us on Facebook. Just look for the Israel News Talk Radio Facebook page. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us by clicking on the like button. We post great stuff there that you'll want to share. Israel News Talk Radio on Facebook and Israel News Radio on Twitter. If you're hearing this message, everyone else can too. Advertise with Israel News Talk Radio and get your message out to people. We'll build a personalized package for you. Contact advertising at israelnewstalkradio.com. Straight talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Hey, this is Jake in Anchorage, Alaska, and I love listening to all the super interesting interviews and up-to-date information on what's happening in Israel. Hello, this is Anna King, originally from London, now living in Israel. And what can I say? Israel News Talk Radio is my cup of tea. My name is Bhaskar. I'm from India, and I love listening because you get to know the truth and wonderful voices from this lovely country. Mom! Okay, wait a minute. Hi, this is Chava Dots, and I'm calling for the rolling hills of Malaya Dumim, just north of Jerusalem. I always listen to Israel News Talk Radio to get all the latest news and commentary and to keep me up to date every day. This is Sarah Dots from Malaya Dumim, and I'm 12. I wish Israel News Talk Radio was boring so my mom wouldn't listen to it all the time. Mom! You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio.